right, hey, grab your Bibles today. We, got, we don't have much time, so I wanna jump into all of this. Grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me, if you would, to the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles. And uh, if you're here with us today for the first time, or if uh, you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about the DNA of Antioch Church. And I heard a couple of weeks ago that you had a little unforeseen circumstance take place where all the power went out. Guys, I heard that and I just thought to myself, man, A, I wish I could have been there. And B, you know, when you're doing life together as family and you're just traveling the road together, you know, we're not here for events. We're family that are traveling a road, growing in our sonship, maturing in Christ together. And that kind of stuff is gonna happen. I heard a pastor say this one time. He said, you know, Every week, you know, every day when you're with family, it's not going to be an incredible high. There are some days as family, you got to take out the trash. There are some days as family, you got to clean the garage. There are some days as family, all the lights go out. And man, you just experience that together and you bind together and, and you kind of wade and work your way through that. And then you get a benchmark moment when you have that experience and you go, hey, remember when? Remember when all the lights went out and all the power went out and the worship team had a shutdown and Dan preached with nothing and how awesome. And Dan's so proud of you, man, for just leading the charge and leading the house and the family during that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Guys, those kind of situations are enough to rattle anyone. And uh, I, I was actually thinking about that going, what would I have done in that situation? And uh, man, the house is in good hands when I'm gone and so proud of you. Great messages that uh, Pastor Dan preached on the past couple of weeks that uh, if you weren't here, you can't get these on the podcast, unfortunately, especially the service where all the power went out. But he preached on the fact that one of the core components of Antioch is that our DNA is a DNA of victory. How many of you guys agree with that? How many of you guys believe in the core of your being, in your belly, in your bones, that Christ died to make us victorious? You know, there are seasons in life when we may not feel victorious, we're not experiencing the triumphal power of God in our lives, but that does not mean that God did not create us to be victorious in all things. Death does not get the final answer. Sickness does not get the final answer. Poverty does not get the final answer. Tragedy does not get the final answer. The victorious power and the work of the resurrection of Christ always gets the final answer in our lives, always. You were created for victory. You were created to overcome every challenge. You know, there's something inside of our DNA that when we see people overcome challenges, we love it. It bolsters our faith. It inspires us. Why? Because that is the DNA of the victorious one living inside of your spirit. You were not created for defeat. You were created for victory. And you ought to be, comf you ought to be uncomfortable. You ought to be irritated and agitated with anything but victory in your life. Don't ever become comfortable with defeat in your life. And then he talked about last week, he talked about the fact that one of the core components of our DNA is that we are a people who serve. And I'm not gonna re-preach his message. It was a phenomenal message, but here's one thing that I wanna submit to you as a family. Family members serve the family. It's very, very simple. You know, every good parent raises their kids to have a heart for the family and to serve one another. Just a couple of days ago, 
A Kenya school sits up on this hill and there's this little dirt hill that goes down to Milan school. And so every Tuesday and Thursday I drive and I pick him up and then we walk down the hill and we go pick up Milan. And a couple of days ago when we picked up Milan, she had probably two or three bags in her hand and, and she asked me if I would carry her backpack. And so I gave that to Kenya, who Kenya kind of you know, resisted at first but always looking for every opportunity to train them in the core value of the family. And I said, son, family members serve one another. And he said, okay, so here with this cast, he's like, you know, trying to get this backpack on. And then he's like, well, can I just carry it to the road before I have to climb up the hill? No, you gotta carry it all the way up to the, you know, up to the van, all the way up the hill because families serve one another. And he had this frowny face on. I said, listen, families serve each other with joy, with joy. You know, I tell you, one of the things that we discovered when we were in Peru, the, uh, the main church that we worked with in Lima, one of the most contagious group of servants that I have ever met on the planet. 8,000 member church and the youth stay up. They have five campuses. And at one of the campuses, the youth have adopted that campus and they stay up all night Sunday, like Saturday night through Sunday morning, they have a service on Saturday night. Then they stay up and it's like this huge lock-in type of deal, but they're setting the entire church up and they love it and it's a blast. And every single person that we met who was serving, man, they had the biggest smiles on their face because for 25 years, the senior leader, the father of the house has been injecting them with this phrase. Listen to this. He says, when we serve, we participate with the miraculous. I love that. I love that. And when you go into somebody else's house and you go into somebody else's family and you see everyone aware and everyone serving with joy and life, you realize that is DNA, that is culture. And that is what God has called us to be. That is gonna be one of the defining marks of Antioch Church. 20 years from now, 25 years from now, five years from now, people are gonna come in and go, why is everybody putting their hands to work? Why is everybody working and serving with such joy? Because that's part of our DNA. It's part of what we believe. It's part of what it means to be sons and daughters of the house. Well, Milan had a great opportunity just yesterday to serve Kenya because with his cast, it's a little bit difficult for him to peel an orange. And so Milan's over there, she's peeling her orange and she's eating her orange, having a good time. And, and brother says, sissy, can you help me peel my orange? And she goes, no, you know how to do that. Do it yourself. And I said, hey, 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 what about that, what about that day when, uh, when Kenya helped you carry your bag up that hill? I said, remember, families serve one another. She goes, you're right. <laughs> so you, gotta, you just got to just build that in. It doesn't come automatic. You got to just build that in every opportunity. Today, we're going to talk about probably one of my most favorite things in the world. We're going to talk about one of the core strands of the DNA of Antioch Church is worship. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And I really need about probably about eight weeks to do this justice. I really do. And I'm going to squeeze in as much as I can in the next 30 to 40 minutes. And, uh, and just basically what I want to do today is I want to highlight that we are a worshiping people and that we will always prioritize the throne of God over everything else, over programs, over agendas, in fact, one of the things that we say, it's our mantra as a staff that all of our plans are always plan B. Every single one of our plans are plan B. We're not sloppy. We're not unprepared. We are diligent. 
we are orderly, we are organized and we are always ready, but we always submit those to what God wants to do. And if he shows up and he says, listen, I want you to stop everything and pray for the sick, we're gonna do it. I want you to stop everything and get quiet and wait on me, we'll do it. Because our plans are always plan B to God's agenda. All right, let's pray and then let's jump into this. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for the kiss of heaven that we've already experienced today. We thank you that even according to your word, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we've experienced God freedom. Every single one of us have experienced freedom in some measure today. And I pray that that would increase. We thank you for health. We thank you for life. We thank you for strength. We thank you, Father, that, that you have not left us. You've not forsaken us. You are very present in this moment to advance us, to mature us, to grow us, to galvanize us for your kingdom advancement. We thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Strong, let's say amen. All right, that wasn't very strong, but it was, I'll, I'll take it for now. First Chronicles chapter 16. How many guys are happy to be alive and happy to be here? All right, come on, family. First Chronicles 16, let's look at verse seven. I'm reading out of the NIV and it says, that day David first committed to Asaph and his, and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Israel, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen one. I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. I wanna jump over to verse 23. It says, sing to the Lord all the earth and proclaim his salvation day after day. You know, one of the things that happens when we engage in corporate worship is we are proclaiming the message of the kingdom. We are proclaiming the goodness of God. We are making known, not only in the earth realm, we're also making known in the realm of the heavens. You know, Ephesians chapter three, verse 10 says this. It says that the church will make known the manifold wisdom of God in heavenly places. We don't have time to teach on all this right now, but how many of you guys realize that we don't just deal with a visible world. There is an invisible reality. There is a spiritual reality. There are, there are heavenly places. And the scripture says in Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, that one of the purposes of the church, one of the reasons why you and I exist as a corporate people is that we're supposed to actually make known the plans of God, not just to human beings. We're supposed to make known the plans of God in heavenly realms, in heavenly places. We can teach more on that when we get into uh, some of those topics. But it says here, declare his glory among the nations. You know, there've been times in our services where there actually have been strong, strong prophetic words that have come forth. And I believe those, that our worship is actually collectively joining the church of the world. I believe that. I believe that when you have an understanding of the church, remember that we said that there's different layers, different dimensions of the church. There's the, there's the nucleus of the church, the nuclear church, the local church, but then there's the city church. And then we also understand that there's a global church. We're connected with the body of Christ in Pakistan. We're connected with the body of Christ that is suffering in Saudi Arabia. We're connected with the body of Christ all over the world. And when we worship, God is hearing the collective sound of his bride in all the earth. 
And so we're joining with them in declaring his name among the nations. One of the powerful components of corporate worship and praise. Look at verse 25. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise for he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Let me just pause right here. Today, our focus is gonna be on corporate worship. And I'm gonna make some distinctions between individual worship and corporate worship and, um, and why it's important for us to understand the power and the purpose of corporate worship. But guys, the principles remain the same. If you're in need of strength and if you're in need of joy, the greatest place you can find that is right in the presence of God. Right now, wherever you're at, whatever situation you're struggling with in your life, if you're in the need of increased strength in your life, friend, I wanna encourage you, I wanna implore you, run into the presence of God. Make that your dwelling place. Make that your home and let the reality of who he is bring life and strength and joy to your very being. Look at this right here, verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And here it is, my favorite verse. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. God is deserving of glory. God is more deserving of glory than I think that any of us can finitely imagine with our minds. He is more deserving. He is more deserving of anything that we could possibly give him. And the beautiful thing here is this, he's not asking for much, he's just asking for everything. It's interesting because in John chapter four, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna belabor this too much, but Jesus is having a conversation with a gal. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. She's hanging out at this well and they're having this conversation and, and she tries to turn this conversation into a conversation about worship. She tries to get theological with Jesus. He calls her out. He has a prophetic word of knowledge for her. And then all of a sudden she realizes she's not dealing with an ordinary human being. And then so she starts talking about this well. She says, well, you know, this well was such and such well, and this is the place where, and he says, listen, hey, there's coming a time and a place where every single person on the planet is gonna worship God, not at a particular place. They're gonna worship God for who he is. And then he says this incredible statement here in John chapter four, I believe it's in verse 24. He says this, he says, God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. One of the things that God is looking for in this house when we come together, now we understand that worship is not an event. Worship is not something that happens on Sunday. Worship is a lifestyle. But there is something very powerful when God's people, the assembly of God's people come together, there is incredible power and potential within those moments. And if you ever get lost and wonder, what am I supposed to be doing in this moment? Always remember this, God says, I am looking, I'm on the hunt. Scripture doesn't say that God is looking for much, but one thing he is looking for, one thing he is lacking, and that is very simply this, those who will worship him in spirit 
and in truth, who will worship him wholeheartedly, who will worship him willingly, who will worship him with the very depths of who they are. And watch this, who will worship him according to the truth of who he is. And the only way that we can know the truth of who he is, is the truth that he is revealed about who he is. I heard a young worship leader say this one time, you may have heard me share the story, but he said, you know, I really think what that verse means when it says that God's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth, it means that he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in the truth of, you know, just being truthful to themselves. And I sat there and thought, you are totally off. It's not being truthful to ourselves. That's man-centered. It's not being, it's not being you know, truthful to the God that we think he is. That's humanism, okay? It is worshiping him according to who he says that he is and how he has revealed himself. There's a phrase here that I wanna to introduce to the house that I, wanna, I want it to become the focal point for our times of corporate worship, whether that worship be in your home with your family, driving along the road, whether it be when you're at work, whether it be when we're here as a corporate body or in mod, mod Q, when we're doing certain prayer nights. And that very simply is this, the DNA of our worship is that we are gonna be a people who give God our best. We are gonna be a people who give God our best. Now go with me if you would to Genesis chapter four give you some examples of some people throughout scripture who could be characterized as people who gave God their best. Because that really is what worship is. Worship is giving God our best. It's not giving him token praise. It's not giving him token allegiance or token time or token offerings. We're gonna see this here in example. Worship is about acknowledging See, listen, watch this. You and I can't worship unless we have a revelation of who God is. You can only worship God to the degree of the revelation of him that you have. So if we have low-level worship, we have low-level revelation. Are you, are you following me? See, when you understand how precious something is, and when you understand how valuable something is, you treat it differently. You know what that is? It's called revelation of something's value. And when you have a revelation of something's value, you have a revelation of something's worth. And the word worship actually has worth inside of it. Worthship. So in other words, we can ask ourselves, how much is God worth for our worthship? See, our worship of God is simply a reflection or an expression of how much we deem him to be worth in our lives. Low level worship, low level revelation. Low level worship, low value on who God is. See, when you have value for something, it doesn't matter what the situation is. You're gonna give that thing the amount of value that it deserves. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you're sick. It doesn't matter if you had a bad day. It doesn't matter if things aren't going your way. When you see the value of something, you give it what it deserves because you have a revelation of its worth. Worship has nothing to do with us has nothing to do with circumstance, has nothing to do with song selection, has nothing to do with the quality of music that's coming out. It has everything to do with how much I value the worth of God. He is the object of our worship. Everything that happens up here are simply mediums or tools that can help us communicate and express to God how much he's worth. 
That's why I love great songs. Because when I read great songs or I read great poems, you ever written, you ever picked up a great card and you're like, this card says exactly what I want to say to my spouse, to my friend, to the person who's experienced grief or tragedy. I, I, I have all these things inside of me. I just, I just can't articulate them the way that I want. You pick up a certain car and you go, that's exactly what I want to try to communicate. That's the power of great songs. That people who've been gifted and anointed and people who have purchased songs before the presence of the Lord, they have captured something that is really resident in our hearts. How many of you guys are with me today? Let's look at Genesis chapter four. We're going to begin at verse one. Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions. Somebody say fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. This is the first occurrence in the scriptures of worship. This is the first place, there's actually a hermeneutical law, which basically means a, a biblical principle of how to study scripture. And it's called the law of first mention. The first time you see something mentioned in scripture, you ought to pay very special attention to it because there's very important messages and very important principles that God is trying to communicate through the law of first mention. This is the first place in the scriptures where the concept of worship. Now here it's using the word offering, but how many of you guys know that our offerings are worship unto the Lord? One of the reasons we have everybody come up and bring an offering to the Lord is because that's what the scripture commands us to do, to bring an offering to the Lord, okay? So as we look at this story, we see as we analyze this scripture here, Cain in the course of time brought some of the fruits of the soil. And what's the implication there? In the course of time implies there wasn't necessarily a, a sense of importance because it implies that over a process or a period of time as he felt to do so. And then it says that he brought some of the fruit of the soil, some of the fruit of the soil. You know, and if we get into the life and if we get into the situation of Cain, we sat down here and we had coffee together and we interviewed him and asked him what was going on. Who knows? Maybe he was having a difficult time. Maybe things weren't going exactly the way that he wanted them to be going in his life. Maybe he didn't really receive a good harvest from the soil and, and maybe he was a little discouraged by that. We don't know. All we do know is that his heart was reflected in his offering. Remember we said that you can only worship God to the degree of the revelation you have of God. There was something that was operating inside of Abel that says, I'm gonna give God my best. I'm gonna give God the fat portions. You know what the fat portions are? They're the good, they're the good pieces, right? You ever, you, ever, you ever eaten a steak? Like there's, like, and you ever have to like share a steak with someone? There's like certain parts that are better than others. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about or not. But I, 
when I'm not on my A game, I like to, uh, I like to keep the nice, tender, juicy, flavorful parts of the steak. And I like to give that other part that's just a little bit tougher and drier and less flavorful to whoever it is I'm sharing with. I'm, I'm letting you guys in on my secrets here. But you know, when, when I'm in the Lord and I'm in the, in the spirit, I, I obviously offer those good juicy fat portions over to my wife. I totally do that, right? Abel is saying, God, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna reserve the best for me. I'm gonna give the best to you. And I'm not gonna take it from just any animal. What does the scripture say? He took it from the firstborn. Guys, I'm telling you, this is so rich and this is so pregnant with so many things. If you wanna have a theological treatise for the tithe, it's operating right here. Basically what, what Abel was doing without any revelation, without any doctrine or teaching from his heart, he was saying, I'm gonna take my first, which is an act of trust, which is an act of consecration. He says, and I'm gonna give you my best, which is saying, what he was saying, God, you are worthy of my best. You are worthy of the best that I can give you my best worship, my best praise, my best offering, the best of my finances. <laughs> All right, Lord, I'll do that. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, my kids, it's so funny. God and I have this thing as it comes to the offering. And um, I love giving to the Lord. I do. It's one of my favorite things to do. And um, I've got a pretty systematic, Christy and I, we've got a systematic regimen of giving. And then what'll happen is, is there'll be times and seasons where the Lord, he'll say, hey, I want you to give a certain amount. And in uh, different times, those amounts will be different. There'll be times where he says, I want you to give every single thing that you have on you right now. And sometimes, you know, I'll just happen to have a couple hundred dollars with me in cash. And he'll say, just everything you have, just clear it out, just give it. And it's always been, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. No matter what, I've just, I've developed the heart and the condition, say, yes, Lord. I remember one year, um, it was... Um, uh, we began getting revelation of the principle of the first fruit. And the Lord asked us in that moment to give a very, very significant amount. It was actually about 25% of our annual income. And I wrestled with the Lord. Well, actually I didn't wrestle with the Lord. I said, yes, Lord. I said, if you'll provide it, I'll do it. And that year we did it and it was awesome. It was powerful, okay? So my kids, we wanna you know, teach them uh, the spirit of giving and the grace gift of giving, discipline of giving. And so... Uh, Every Sunday we try to have, you know, a dollar bill or something. We give them a dollar. And, and um, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> I didn't have any dollar bills. I only had 20s, about four or five 20s in, in, in my wallet. And um, came offering time. David was doing his thing and I opened my wallet and I didn't see any ones. So, so I, I kind of looked at it and I just closed it and put it back. And Christy's watching this whole thing going on. She's, and she's thinking, are you serious? You've given thousands of dollars, like in a dime, like without even thinking, you've given thousands of dollars. And here you can't even, you can't even give up a Jackson, seriously. So, and, uh, and I sat there, probably, it was probably about 15 seconds. And this is what I heard the Lord say, whisper in my ear. He goes, seriously? <laughs> seriously? He goes, now you know what I want you to do? He goes, I want you to give them all. And I was like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, you know, the, yeah, the kids usually give $1 bills or fives or tens and they don't even know, they don't even know this is a 20. God, they don't even know how much this is worth. And this is what he said, this is what he said. How many, how many of you guys can guess what he said? But I do. He's so good like that. He's so good. So little, so small, right? So little, you're like, God, really? But the heart of the issue is this. 
Are you giving God your best? Are you giving God your best? Like when we come in here on a Sunday morning, the question that we need to have before us, you wanna know how to prepare? You wanna know how to serve the house? You wanna know how to grow in maturity and sonship? Come into the house before you ever get in here and purpose in your mind, I'm gonna give God my best today. I'm gonna give him my best. If you're serving in the nursery, say, I'm gonna give God my best. Pray, come prayed up, come ready. If you're, on the, if you're on the watchman team, come ready. You always come ready. I'm so proud of you. Greeters, set up, tear down, worship team, whatever it is, come and say, today, in this moment, I'm gonna give God my best. Part of giving God our best means that we come prepared. Part of giving God our best means we come on time. Part of giving God our best means that no matter what is going on around us, we choose with all of our hearts to give him what our best is at that moment. And you know what? Life is life. And sometimes your best will look different and that's okay. But only you know what your best is. This is what we train our missions teams. We call it the green light, we call it challenge by choice. And essentially what we say with all the challenges that we take our missions teams through, because they go through some physical things and they go through some emotional challenges and we pull them up and we get them all high off the ground. They got to face their fear of heights. And we say, listen, only you know what your limits are. We don't know. We can't get inside your heart or your mind. We are asking you to green light yourself. We are asking you to challenge yourself by choice come prepared, come ready to worship God. You know, in the Old Testament structure of the tabernacle, there is a very specific way of worshiping God. How many of you guys are familiar with that? If you're not, don't worry about it. Just understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament pattern of worship. And in that Old Testament pattern, there was a prescribed methodology on how people were to approach the holy place of God. And every single articles within that tabernacle all represented some very, very powerful things. Things like cleansing and purification, sanctification, all of those things. The reason why that is, is God was laying out an order of worship so that when they did come to that place of being in the very presence of God, their hearts were prepared and their hearts were clean to approach the holiness of God so they could give them their best. Let's look at another story here. Look with me, if you would, at, uh, let's go to 2 Samuel. Let's look at 2 Samuel. There's a great man, one of my heroes in the scriptures, named David. In fact, if you're feeling a little dry in your passion for the Lord, I just encourage you, go read some of the things that David wrote in the Psalms and just read those things until they become a part of you. One of the things I so admire about David was his passion for God. You know, we talked about that a few weeks ago. We talked about how when the, ark, when the ark came into Jerusalem, we talked about how David was so passionate for God that he danced to the point that his, even his clothes came off. Why? Because he was so passionate that God's presence was coming back into their nation. Well, David was a man that was so passionate, but he was also a little um, uh, rash, put it like, maybe that's another reason why I like him so much. I can relate to that. And uh, in the last chapter of second Samuel, what we see is we see a story here of another one of David's mistakes. David made a lot of mistakes. Bible is very clear on all of them. And this is one of the mistakes he made late in his life. And I'm going to read some of this in verse one. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he incited David against them saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, 
Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, may the Lord, your God, multiply the troops a thousand times over and may the eyes of my Lord, the king, see it. But why does my Lord, the king, want to do such a thing? The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men. And so we're gonna skip some verses here. Essentially, Joab goes and he goes and he goes throughout all the different tribes and, and he has a census. He takes count on how many people they have. And you know, there's a scripture that says some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. And David wrote this, he says, but I will trust in the Lord, my God. Well, the only reason a king would take a census is because essentially he's putting more trust in the numbers of fighting men that he has than in the power and the presence of God being on his side. So we're gonna fast forward right here. And uh, essentially what takes place is God judges this act and he sends a plague on the land. And so we're gonna pick the story up right here at verse 17 when it says, when David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. And on that day, Gad went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord God had commanded him. And when Arana looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. And Arana said to David, let my Lord, the king, take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. Here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. O king, Arana gives all this to the king. And Arana also said, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it for I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God offerings that cost me nothing. Just want to let that sit for a little bit. At any moment, David could have flexed his kingly muscle. I mean, that's essentially what was going on there. Here's the king and all his royalty, all of his authority, all of his prestige and all of his power. And he's got business to do with God. And, and naturally so, one of the servants and citizens of the land is wanting to honor the king. And he's saying, hey, listen, whatever you want, take it, it's yours. You're the man, I bless you. And this is, this is free of charge. I wonder how many times in our life we offer things to God that cost us nothing. It's just, it's just good food for thought. It's good food for introspection for us to ask ourselves. And there's no performance in this, guys. There's no legalism in this. When sons and daughters hear this, we don't have to get into some performance-oriented thing because the truth of the matter is, you know, God's not necessarily looking on the external acts that we do. We might be jumping up and down on the outside, but on the inside, we're giving God something that costs us nothing. The heart and the spirit of the issue here is that when we as a people come together, are we giving God our best or are we giving God offerings that cost us nothing? Or are we giving him some of the portion of the land in the course of time as it seems good to us? 
not what he is deserving of. I believe like any other spiritual discipline, I believe that worship is a discipline that can be developed. I believe our attitudes are attitudes that can be trained. Are you hearing me this morning? Let me just revisit our mission statement. We believe that as a kingdom community, we exist to awaken, equip, and send people to transform cities, regions, and nations. We believe where the kingdom of God comes, transformation is a natural byproduct of that. We believe that we are called on the earth to bring transformation to every arena of society. I'm gonna tell you this right now. If we can't discipline ourselves to give God our best, when incredible music is going on and we've got a company of people that are like on fire for God, if we can't participate with that momentum, if we can't participate with that, transformation will not happen in our lives. Are you hearing me today? You know, one of the things that has become real popular throughout the nation is uh, uh, boot camps and uh, group exercise classes and things of that nature. And it's brilliant. And the brilliance of it is, is that if you can just get yourself in the right environment and if you can get yourself around other people that are committed and more than committed, if you can get yourself around people that are actually pursuing physical strength and agility and function, if you're getting around people that are, that are pursuing that at a greater degree than you, there's, there, is, there is a momentum that is created in the atmosphere that will actually empower you to go further. One of the powers that happens when we get together is that there is a potential to accelerate your worship life if you'll tap into it. A couple years ago when Christy and I took the family to Scottsdale, Arizona, there was this, um, it was this boot camp um, club. It was called the Zone Athletic Performance. And I went there every day, 6 a.m. every day, and, uh, and, and it, was, it was incredible. And what they did was they basically took all the different sports drills from all these different disciplines. And then basically people who were there that wanted to just get back into strength or want to increase their athletic performance, they came into those classes and it was like every three minutes, man, they were switching it up for a full hour. It was awesome. But what happened was when I got in there, it, it placed me, it showed me where I was. I'm not an 18 year old basketball player anymore. I'm not a 22 year old guy anymore, you know. But also what it did was as I began looking around and then they had, we'd have these sprinting races. Have I ever sprinted against somebody before? Now, when you're up there sprinting and girls are beating you, <laughs> I was like, uh-uh, we ain't having that, Jack. We are not having that. And so, man, we get, we get to this and it was probably like a 40 yard dash or whatever. And we go through these circuit trainings and then we'd line up and then psh, psh, you got to sprint down and back. And I'm telling you, first couple of days when I was, you know, kind of getting my feet underneath me, those girls, they kicked my butt. But by the time I left, huh? Putting a little bit more in it. You know why? Because when you get around people, that are pushing. And when you get around people that are excelling, and when you get around people that are chasing, and when you get around people that are hungry, and when you get around people like Abel who wanna give God their best, and when you get around David's, there's something that happens inside of you and it propels you to give God more. That's why it's not enough that you have a great individual worship time. You've gotta bring that here. 
You've got to bring that fight here. You've got to bring that devotion here. Listen, this room is not a time for you to sit down and read your Bible. Don't get your feelings hurt if you've sat down and read your Bible. There will be moments, and they are the exception. There will be moments when God, and God does it to me all the time. I'm in the place of worship. He'll drop a scripture. I'll look at it. I'll note it. I'll put it back, and I'll get right back into the place of worship. Because what is happening here is bigger than you. What is happening here is bigger than what you want and what you need. Imagine in the military, if you showed up or on a, on a sports team, if you showed up and you said, you know, I'm not really feeling those drills today. And what I really need today is I really need, you know, we laugh at that. We laugh at that. But for all the analogies that we use for the body of Christ being warriors and soldiers, when we are talked to like warriors and soldiers, why do we chafe at that? Okay, because when we all get together, it's about what God is doing for the corporate body. It's not about necessarily me getting my needs met. Here's the beauty of it. Watch this. Here's the beauty. The beauty is very simply this. When I go to fall in line and when I go to support and strengthen what God is doing for the corporate something very, very amazing happens. Most of the time, what I need gets met. When I go not caring about you, but just coming in to get mines, typically what happens is you lose and I lose. Are you hearing me today? It doesn't matter if you like the song. It doesn't matter if it's too loud. It doesn't matter if it's too quiet. It doesn't matter. What matters is God is worthy of our best. And what matters is this, listen, as far as the Antioch DNA goes, we believe this guys. We believe that there are corporate assignments that God has for us in the corporate assembly. Are you hearing me today? There are corporate assignments that God has for us in the corporate assembly of worship. And that's why what you'll see happening up here, and I, it's so cool. I actually had a pastor from another church here in town get together with me this week, and he said, he said I've got an assignment. He said, our senior pastor is wanting to trans, you know, transition one of our services into a service where, where we're helping the church move deeper, to move beyond a seeker-sensitive service to pursuing the deep things of God. So he gave all the staff members assignments. He says, I want you to go out there and I want you to talk with people that you know. And he says, the first person I thought of was Jay Duncan at Antioch Church. He says, because this is what you guys are. And for about two hours, he just asked me every question about how we administer the prophetic and how we give words and tongues and songs and tongues and you know, how long our worship sets are and all that stuff. And I said, listen, the first thing that needs to be worked out is that above all, above everything, no matter what's planned, is in your heart, you have to say, God, you get, the f you get first place, you get the best, no matter what, no matter what. And guys, listen, our sets may be a little bit longer. And this is not a comparative statement. It may be a little bit longer. And as I was chewing on this question this week, and I was like, I need to give people an answer. Why are our sets longer? My first thought was this, I don't really think they're that long. Let me take you to Africa and go to some eight hour worship services. 
Let me take you where they're fighting some real witchcraft doctors. And in order for them to stay alive, they've got it. Let me take you to some Korean prayer services where from midnight till six in the morning, they don't stop praying and they don't stop crying out to God. And we can't give God 20 minutes. Let me just bring some perspective here. How long is an, how long is an average movie? How long is an average sports game? How long is an average practice that your kids go to play soccer at? But yet we go 20 minutes in worship. What is wrong with this picture? Think about your time. We'll commute longer than we'll worship God, right? Some of you have been in situations where you've had to commute for an hour, hour and a half. Some of you've had to commute two hours to get to your place of work. You know, an average game of golf takes about four hours. Four hours for an average game of golf. A good day of fishing, all day long. You want to cook a great meal? It's going to take you some time. So are we going to give God cheeseburgers? Or are we going to give him a good, slow, roasted, finely prepared, well Come on, greatly marinated. You know, I love me some good Korean meat. You know, the key to great Korean meat is you got to marinate that mug. You got to put that junk in and you got to let that stuff just hang out for about three to five days. You throw that junk on the grill. All right. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're going to give God cheeseburgers. We're going to give him our best. Antioch Church exists to give God our best. And the way that we interact with people, we're going to give God our best. And the way that we serve, we're going to give God our best. And the way that we worship, we're going to give God our best. This stage, we're going to give God our best. The way that we practice our craft, we're going to give God our best. Not out of performance, out of a heart that wants to give him the fat portions because he deserves it. And my closing statement is very simply this. You know, people that don't even have the spirit of God inside of them will devote 12 hours a day to perfecting their craft. You ask most Christians to devote two hours a day to working on their instrument and they'll call you a legalist. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that that, a, that an Olympic athlete will give, God, will give their best but we ask somebody to come down here and we say, everybody clap our hands. Can't get everybody to clap their hands. Why is that? Why is that? Guys, we gotta think about these kind of things. Okay, because for all of us to give God our best means it requires all of us to give God our best. And when that happens, I believe I believe one of the anointings and callings, I believe this with all of my heart, one of the prophetic destinies on this house. You know, we go by Bethel's music and Hillsong's music and IHOP's music. I want you to dream here with me. Is it possible that God could be kissing Antioch Church to have global influence in the realm of worship? I believe that. But let me submit this to you. Global influence in the realm of worship is not just about who's leading and singing and playing. It is about a house of worship. 
It is about a people of worship because here's something, here's something I know. You pull something out of them just as much as they pull something out of you. And as you pull them higher, they'll pull you higher. And when it's time that we stop expecting them to drag us into the presence of God, we ought to place a greater demand on these guys. We ought to say, we're out worshiping you, something's wrong. You're the lead worshipers, but we're out worshiping you. What's wrong with this picture? Come on, somebody, come on. Because when that begins to happen, I'll tell you what, God will breathe on this place and he'll, he'll kiss us with songs and he'll kiss us with sounds and he'll kiss us with equipment and he'll kiss us with executive producers. And I believe with all of my heart, there is an anointing of worship on this house that's supposed to touch the world. And I need you to get in agreement with that. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. <clears throat> Lord, we just bless you today. We just lift our hands in adoration and worship and praise to you. Lord, we want to sing songs like we believe them. When we say you're worthy of it all, every fiber of our being believes you are worthy of it all. You are the pearl of great price. When those guys found that pearl and they sold everything, God, that is a picture of you. You're worth everything, so we'll sell everything. You're worth everything, so we'll give everything. And God, I'm asking that you would build an alabaster box people at Antioch Church. I'm asking that you would build the passion of David where we will say we will not give God something that costs us nothing. I'm asking you give us the spirit of Abel. I'm asking you give us the spirit of worship. I'm asking God that we would give daily unto you the sacrifice of praise. And Father, right now I pray, I actually release unto you Antioch. I release unto you the spirit of praise that in your darkest hours, that the Lord anoints you with a breaker anointing of praise that literally tears walls down. That the Lord anoints you with the spirit of praise that goes out in front and confronts the enemies. And I declare the spirit of praise and the spirit of worship and the spirit of offering, the hilarious, the generous, the extravagant spirit of worship on your life will cause demons to flee from you. It will heal the sick. It will turn your situation around. It will lift you up in the name of Jesus. I declare today that God pulls you out of a pit and he puts your feet upon a solid rock and he puts a new song in your mouth. I release a corporate anointing of worship. I release a corporate anointing of praise. I release a corporate anointing of extravagant offering. I declare that Antioch is a house of worship unto our God. And God, today we just say, in the covenant that you made with us in Jesus, we declare to you today, we will give you our best, God. We will give you our best. We will give you our best in Jesus' name. Antioch Church, God bless you guys. It's good to be back home. Hey, listen, go from this place. Go from this place and go further, right? Go further. And we'll see you here next week. Don't forget.